Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I want to talk about two sinners in a box. That's the way that uh, we have been talking to our children lately as they are getting older. We're talking about long-term relationships, and we tongue-in-cheek say when you put two sinners in a box, the box is the home. That's what we're talking about. The box is a metaphor for the home. And when you put two sinners in a box for a long period of time, well, it's, it can get feisty from time to time. We can, uh, our fallenness, two fallennesses colliding together. We're talking about dating to marriage. And as I, I was telling my children, this is a 50-year plan. If God allows you 50 years of marriage with a wonderful spouse, But no matter how wonderful that spouse may be, it is two sinners in a box. And then if you have children, there will be more sinners in the box. We have five sinners in our box. And because of that, it has given us many opportunities to sin against each other, to confess our sins, to work on reconciliation, to confront each other. That's just the way it is. And there are no other options. Perhaps you feel a call to singleness right now, (laughs) and I understand. I really do, but the the truth is uh, you will always be in relationship with someone, uh, whether it's in a work environment, church environment, wherever it may be. We are closely, uh, we're knitted together in various ways, but the place where it is most dramatic is our homes. And because of that, we need what I call a good sin plan. Uh, We need a good plan to work on our problems and to be able to work through things. And so I want to share some of these ideas, not in an exhaustive way. There's no way to do that in a 30-minute podcast. But I do want to share some what I believe will be some helpful ideas for you as you think about the other sinners in your box or those within your sphere of influence Because the thing is, is that that person that is near you is going to disappoint you. And you you have to know how to interact with that individual. And by the way, you will disappoint them, and they will need to know how to confront you as well. And we do need a good plan. We need good strategies. And fortunately, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark as blind people groping for the wall, but the Bible gives us much light in this matter of interacting with other relationships. The truth is, we just have to decide if we are going to do it. Now, I'm well aware that if we choose to do it biblically, to interact with each other biblically, that we are going to do it imperfectly. I am the poster child for doing these things imperfectly, and Our four family members would affirm that to be true, that I have interacted with them perfectly uh, our entire existence together. But that should not deter us to keep trying to do it the right way. And so I hope that this podcast will help you with your interaction with other people. Specifically, I want to talk about confrontation, confronting a person that could sound strong, to you, I suppose, 
but you can call it something else if you prefer. But how to how do you come to another person and bring your care to them when they are doing something wrong? And so the title of the podcast and the article on the website is Three Keys When Confronting Someone. Three Keys When Confronting Someone. I have other articles that are linked here, as always, and then I have a short video for you uh, that really unpacks 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where Paul said we should be patient with everybody. Good luck with that. Uh, but that video will be instructive. And so if you want to read this podcast, I would encourage you to do it. Go to our website, rickthomas.net, look for the article, Three Keys When Confronting Someone, and you can read it, and you can share it. And as I've said a few times before, you can use it as a homework assignment for a couple. For those of you who disciple, I would really encourage you to uh, consider that. Say, hey, just, just give them this link. Text it to them. Send it in an email. Uh, just give them this link and say, I want you to read this article and I want you and your spouse or whoever or the two people that you're talking to, and I want you all to come together and, and talk about this, and, and let's see if you can benefit from it. And so please, by all means, use it as a homework assignment. Let me begin by uh, asking you a couple of questions, and then I will launch into this. If you had the opportunity to confront a person about a mistake they made, how would you go about it? For those of you who disciple, that's a, an excellent diagnostic question. If you're working with a couple, maybe one of the things that you can do is have them look in the rearview mirror and, and ask the question differently. You could ask it like this. You have had many opportunities to confront each other about a, a mistake that mistakes that each of you have made. How did you go about it? And maybe you can do that yourself. I, I do that regularly, and, and sometimes I come back and I realize that I, I did an awful job in confrontation. And I do. I've done that many times, more so with my family than anyone else. Uh, there's some other times when I've done it well. But it, it, we don't do it perfectly, but it's important that we do self-assess and, and have a good sober awareness of, of who we are and how we do things and how we interact with others and so my question is, if you had an opportunity, perhaps you have someone in mind right now that you want to confront about a mistake that they made, how would you go about it? What are a few key things you should consider when facing a friend with their problem? Now, what I want to do is I want to suggest three vital ideas that you must know, and that's why I titled the podcast, Three Keys When Confronting Someone. If you want to spend some time studying the Bible passage that I want to share with you, then that Bible passage would be 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. I'm not going to read those here, but you can. You're welcome to do that. Just go to 1 Samuel, turn to chapter 12, and read those 25 verses, 1 to 25. And in, that te in the context... Here's what was happening. The old prophet Samuel was at the end of his life, and he had one more opportunity to appeal to the nation of Israel about their relationship with God. Now, you know that at this stage of Israel's history, uh, they had already drifted from the Lord, and they were very clear to Samuel. Just a few chapters earlier, 
they expressed in clarity that they did not want the Lord to rule over them. They wanted someone else, and that was 1 Samuel chapter 8. But here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and, and Samuel's old. He's at the end. He sees the finish line, and he's got another chance to appeal to the nation of Israel. He's, he wants to confront them. He's going to confront them about uh, their mistake, what they're thinking about, the direction that they want to take. Maybe you have a child that's taking a a poor direction. Maybe you have a spouse that's going down the wrong path. Maybe you see a friend who is heading toward a cliff, maybe heading toward a cliff with a, a blindfold on, and you feel the need. You feel the pressure inside of you to confront them. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. We have, in this case, we have an entire nation that's about to walk off the edge of the cliff. There are two main players in this scene, Samuel and the nation of Israel. I want to focus on Samuel, the person doing the confronting rather than those who he is confronting. Now, it would be easy, and we tend to think this way. We want to think about the person who who needs confrontation, but I don't want to do that in this podcast. And so let me say it clearly to you. You are Samuel. You are the person that needs to confront someone else. The Lord was offering them a second chance. He was offering them another opportunity to make a better decision. Now, what if you were Samuel? Maybe you have someone in mind right now, your spouse, your parent, your child, your friend, your church member. What if it is was one of them and was standing before you? And God gave you another opportunity to steer that individual toward righteousness. What would be going through your mind? What should be going through your mind may be a, a better way of asking the question as you confront any person with God's truth. There are three things that I want you to consider in this podcast. Again, the title of it is Three Keys When Confronting Someone. I will give them to you, and then I'll start walking through them. The first is Christ-loving confrontation. The second is spirit-illuminated conviction. And then the third is God-empowered change. And so I want to talk about confrontation, conviction, and change. And that, in an ideal situation, is the process. You confront someone the Lord brings conviction to their souls, and then they are motivated to change. And so Christ-loving confrontation, spirit-illuminated conviction, the spirit has to illuminate. We don't have that ability to, to change a person's heart or to turn the light on in a person's heart. And then finally, God-empowered change. Only God grants repentance. And so let me begin with Christ-loving confrontation. Too often, confrontation connotes harshness, unkindness, stringent corrective measures and conflict. Perhaps you had experienced some of those things when someone confronted you. Confrontation does not have to consist of those things, harshness, unkindness, stringent corrective measures, conflict. Indeed, your heart is not conditioned. If your heart is not conditioned and directed by the love of God, your encounter with others will have some of those things, and you will have more of an edge on you than you should. Now, I do want to 
make a qualification here. I'm not discounting righteous anger, which may be what needs to happen. Righteous anger does have an edge on it. It, it is intensified. Uh, it is direct and and there's, there is a difference here between righteous anger and sinful anger. And I do have an article here if you want to read it, uh, my take on righteous anger. You can click on it. And so, But what I'm talking about here is sinful anger, not righteous anger. And if you have a question about righteous anger, then please read this article and, and you can look at yourself and ask the Lord to address your heart to see, um, is this righteous anger or if this is sinful anger? But too often, confrontation does connote sinful anger, and because of these non-redemptive tendencies, they reside in all of us. It is worth our time and consideration to reflect on our motives, what our motives should be during times of of confrontation. And so under this idea of Christ-loving confrontation, the first of my three keys, I want to talk about four different things, an attitude of love, gentle in love, the history of love, and the purpose of love. It's all under this idea of Christ's loving confrontation. Let's talk about the attitude of love. One of the most important things to consider when confronting someone is your love for that person, which may be hard to possess, and I understand it. Sometimes you can be so frustrated with an individual that, you know, say, well, do you love this person? Yes, I love this person. <laughs> it's hard to get there. But you must, the love of God must govern your heart, no matter how difficult the, the person is in your life. Love is how God begins his interactions with us. For God so loved the world. Let me paraphrase John 3.16. For God so loved this hateful despicable, totally depraved world, for God so loved the world that he gave. Love is how God begins his interaction with us. You have to have a divine perspective. That is the best attitude for you as you're confronting someone. It should form the foundation of your confrontation. And so under this idea of Christ-loving confrontation, I'm talking about an attitude of love. Number two, gentle in love. Too often our confrontation moments are motivated more by our frustration than our love. Confrontation from a heart of sinful anger is a monumental misstep if your goal uh, for the Lord is for the Lord to restore the individual. This restoration perspective that I'm talking about is the implication of Galatians 6.1 where Paul said we should use gentleness in our restoration efforts of other people. He says, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so under Christ's loving confrontation, you should have an attitude of love. You should be gentle in love. And then there should be a history of love. In 1 Samuel 12, uh, we're, I'm looking at all 25 verses, the first 25 verses, uh, but the first six here. What Samuel does is he rehearses in the ears of his friends how he had cared for them through the years. His heart of love for the people of Israel had been on display for decades. It was undeniable, and they knew it. 
this is what part of the text says in 1 Samuel 12. Samuel says, I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. We're talking about a history of love. Samuel had a deep affection for his brothers and sisters, which meant his confrontation of them was not the beginning of his relationship with them. You walk up to the man on the street and you confront him for whatever reason, typically not the best thing to do. When it is time to correct someone, it is essential that that person, they know that you are on their side, which is evidenced, which is evidenced by the history that you have had with them. It's one of the reasons that it is easier for me to receive the correction of my wife because I know without question, it is undeniable, it has been well reported and well documented that she loves me. Without a loving history with them, they may not know about your affection for them. This idea is vital because at the time of correction, they may not feel your love as much as your discipline. Now, the correction, the rebuke, the confrontation that you give to someone, it should be appropriately strong and direct and clear, attention-getting. But that's not when you first meet them. That's not your introduction. That hard, direct, clear confrontation with them, it is part of a long trail a trail that has been in place for a while. In 1 Samuel 12, 7, it says, Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord. So Samuel gave them this historical review of his life with them. There was a history of love, and now what flows out of that history of love is, is this confrontation and you can perceive Samuel's affection for them by the language he used when he talked to them. He was not yelling, but pleading. That's what verse 7 says, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord. Not yelling, but pleading. Not fussing, but confronting out of a heart of love. A spirit that simultaneously had the purposes of God and their need in view. And you can put both of those things together, the purposes of God and their need. This first point here, Christ's loving confrontation, is a bigger point because this is the first step. This is, this is the human responsibility step where we really have to address our hearts before we confront. And so I've talked about the attitude of love, that they know that you, you have this divine perspective. You have a good attitude toward them. And then I talked about gentle in love as Paul said, in a spirit of gentleness. And then I talked about a history of love, that your confrontation uh, happens after a long trail of, of love that's been well documented. And now I want to talk about the purpose of love, point number four. Too often our fussing at people is tied to our selfish agendas for them. Isn't that true? 
every parent in the world should know this. How often have I had selfish agendas for my children and end up fussing at them? The purpose of love we're talking about. You must have a God-centered agenda. Samuel understood the redemptive purposes of the Lord, which transcended any personal plans he may have had for them. We all have these desires for other people. We have personal plans for other people. And sometimes our personal plans can transcend God's purposes. And we really are not ambassadors from Christ at that point or any longer. We are ambassadors for ourselves, our own agenda, our own purposes. And the purpose of love gets, well, it gets lost and tangled up and confused. And when it's, when it's no longer about what you want, when you're really at that spot, the Lord releases you from trying too hard to change them or becoming too angry when the person chooses a path that is different from the one you hoped they would take. This is the, the constant struggle with, with all counselors. We see people every day, every week of our lives choosing paths that's different from the one that we hope they would take. And you must make sure that your heart is governed and managed by the purposes of God. If not, you'll begin to force the issue, over-care, over-involve yourself, try to manage the situation and steer them forcibly in a path that they really have no interest in taking. You really have to understand the purposes of love, and it has to be a God-centered agenda you really have to be uh, on, and you must discern God's mind and what God may be doing with this individual. And so, four ideas shaped Samuel's Christ centered confrontation his attitude, his gentleness, his history, and purpose. Now, how are you like Samuel when it comes to confronting others? May I ask you four questions? One pertaining to each one of these subpoints under point number one, attitude. Do you have affection for the person you're confronting? Gentle. Do you confront others with gentleness? History. Is the person you are confronting assured you, you are for them? Purpose. Do the purposes of God outrank any agenda, maybe hidden agenda that you may have? And so point number one under this podcast, three keys when confronting someone, that point was Christ's loving confrontation. Let me talk ever so briefly about spirit-illuminated conviction. Now you have confronted them, like Samuel. You had a, a great attitude, and you were gentle, and you have proven history with them, and you have God's purposes in mind. These four qualities... Position Samuel as the right man to bring the Lord's message to his people. One of the most critical aspects of this Old Testament scenario is that, is, is that Samuel was not in the way of what the Lord needed to accomplish. For a person to experience conviction from the Lord, he must be in a distraction-free environment, meaning you can't be hovering over them yelling at them. If Samuel were angry, if he was an angry, yelling man or a highly critical, unloving, or if he, he, was, a, if he was a highly love, critical, unloving woman, uh, he would have been in the way while interfering with the Lord's work. 
And I know in marriages that, that husbands can be angry and yelling men and wives can be highly critical, unloving women. And either one of those things, and however it plays out with you sinfully, if it does, then you're in the way. You're interfering with the Lord's work. Imagine a child sinning and his dad yelling at him. I have an article, by the way, in this podcast. The title of the article is, I got angry at my daughter the other day, and it's one of my many lowlights in my relationship with my family. I'll not go through all that here, but you can read that article in its entirety if you want. But imagine a child sinning and his dad yelling at him. The angry dad would be overshadowing overpowering the positive work that the Spirit of God could be doing in the child's heart. The child would be bug-eyed, eyes wide open, not because he's experienced conviction from the Spirit, because he's scared of his dad. Because of Samuel's loving affection for the Israelites, he, he was perfectly positioned to be out of the way of what needed to happen. They needed to experience the conviction of God, and the last thing in the world they needed was for Samuel messing up things by a bad attitude. Do you know how to cooperate with the Lord in the work of spirit-illuminated conviction? Has your anger ever interfered with what the Lord could have done in a person's life by quenching or grieving the Spirit? More than likely, you have. You're like me. We all failed. So I don't want you to go into some pit of despair right now. Oh, Lord, I have really messed that up. But we do need to acknowledge it and own it. We don't want to get in the way. And so point number two is Spirit-eliminated conviction. We want to allow the Lord to have free reign in our lives. The people of Israel needed a God-centered, cooperating man, not an interfering one. The sinning parent of a sinning child places two sinning people in the middle of the room, which relegates the Lord to non-factor status. That's why it's essential for you to take the measure of your heart by examining the love you have for the person you are confronting. If you honestly do not love the person you are engaging in the heat of the moment, your anger may ruin the Lord's redemptive purposes. Samuel's love for them was stronger than their sin, which allowed the Israelites to be in a non-distracted place to experience God's convicting power. God had a plan that the Israelites needed to hear, and God had a messenger who was mature enough to communicate that plan Point number two, spirit-illuminated conviction. And number three, God-empowered change. Every perfect, even perfect processes and perfect attitudes will not guarantee a person will change. You need to hear that over and over again. I did everything right. Parents do this as they reflectively look back and say, we did all these things. You don't, you don't want to presume against the Lord's grace by doing nothing, but you also don't want to assume that God will change a person, that He will change a person because you did everything right. Change can be just as much about you. Change for another individual can be just as much about you as it is about the person you're confronting. God is a multitasker. He can work in two hearts at the same time. Samuel's heart was in the right place. His desire was for the people of Israel to draw near to God so they could obtain mercy, the mercy that they needed. 
And as you can hear in this podcast, as you talk about con- as I talk about confrontation, that it's like, oh wow, this is not just about the person that needs to change. This is about me too. You see Samuel's affection all the way through his confrontation, even at the end where he lets them know that he will never cease from praying for them and he will always be willing to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Listen to 1223 of 1 Samuel. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Wow. What an attitude from a confronting man. Samuel set the table. He had done his job. Then Samuel assumed the position of prayer, asking the Lord to grant repentance in their lives. He was fully aware that he could not change them. Long-term, lasting change is a gift from the Lord, not something you can conjure up or manipulate into an individual. If repentance comes, it will be the Lord who brings it. There's some questions here at the end of this podcast and the, the call to action. If you're interested in reading them, I, I would love for you to do that and make self-assessment. I think they will be fantastic questions for you. The title of the podcast, Three Keys When Confronting Someone. The first key, Christ-loving confrontation. May I learn this. May we learn how to have Christ-loving confrontation. And then point number two, spirit-illuminated conviction. We want to get out of the way and let the spirit do his work. And then point number three, God-empowered change. He can change people. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.